You are listening to Product of the People, a podcast that shares what we, as a people, create. Hosted by Kelly G. Today is the very first episode of Product of the People, and I am very excited to announce that Product of the People is an Edmonton-based podcast that is about highlighting those in the community who are doing great things for this city and putting this prairie city on the map. The city of Edmonton is a product of its people, and so the idea of this podcast, Product of the People, really doesn't stem too much further away from that those that choose to inhabit this space and do something cool with it, whether they're building community hubs, they're bringing interesting programming into the community, they're organizing these giant festivals for this festival-based city. The excitement is there, and I am here to share that content with you in a different way other than a local magazine or bulletin board or even Facebook events. This is a this is a completely different way to digest that information here in this city, and I am so excited to get to share it with you. Today, I'm interviewing a friend of mine. His name is Amos Kiner Nonikis. Amos is a partner at Vignettes, and Vignettes is a local all-in-one stop shop for brand design, activations, whatever it may be, and you'll learn more about Vignettes in this episode. But I'm going to be talking to Amos today about a particular project that he has undertaken recently. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, sweet. Hello, Amos. Amos? I will say your last name correctly, hopefully here with Kiner Nonikas. Correct me if I'm wrong. You got it. So I'm here with Amos Kiner Nonikas, and I know Amos through Vignettes, which is where I interned, where I interned in 2019. And I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit more about Vignettes and also a little bit about your career and how you ended up working with Vignettes. Yeah, so Vignettes is a uh, kind of half design studio, half creative agency, half uh, design build um, contracting group. And uh, we like to say we design for experience. And so we we take on a whole plethora of projects. Um, we're kind of intentional generalists. Um, we do everything from we've built galleries, we've built pop-up parks, we have street furniture lines, we've done various furniture projects before. Um, dynamic installations, installation art and design, uh, kind of fine artwork and, and all the above. We take on projects that kind of have to do with how we experience um, uh, the urban kind of life in cities. And so, uh, yeah, we do a whole lot of different weird stuff, um, but we all like to say it kind of boils down to creating an experience. Um, and I got involved with vignettes in 2019. Um, I have a background in urban planning. Uh, I went to school at the University of Alberta and have a bachelor's in, in urban planning, worked for the city for a little bit, and then I uh, didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so not that I've used that degree very much. It's kind of fallen by the wayside. But I wanted to go to architecture school. Um, and so I needed a portfolio. And in 2017, I started doing some of my own installation work. Um, 
got hooked up with Lee from uh, Vignettes, who kind of started off the company. Um, and we kind of said, screw it, let's do this together. And uh, four or five years later, now, um, you know, we're, we're partners in the business and we're taking over the world. One installation at a time. One installation at a time. Yeah, taking over the world. Awesome. Primarily today, I wanted to talk about a placemaking project that you are a part of with the Old Strathcona Business Association. It's coming to the White Ave area this summer. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. I was wondering if you could speak towards how that project came to be and what you're excited about to see this summer with it. Yeah. So it's actually been almost four years in the making now. Um, so it, it kind of starts actually when I was in school at the University of Alberta. Uh, our final studio project was with the Old Strathcona Business Association, um, it, making essentially a, a placemaking guide. Um, we had this whole Old Strathcona and uh, West Ritchie um, public spaces plan, we called it, public space, public life. Uh, it was unofficial, obviously, because we were students at the university, but we produced a, a number of interventions that kind of went from, you know, it, the ultimate goal is to redo White Avenue. Well, how do we start that? And we started it with certain placemaking initiatives that we could do to kind of introduce people to a new space. So that included like a placemaking toolkit, a placemaking guide, um, street furniture interventions, all this kind of stuff. And when I got out of school, um, the OSBA and Cherie contacted me and said, you know, we actually want to do some of these, um, you know, interventions. And so in 2019, um, it started off where we, we shut down one lane. And this was largely due to COVID as well. Um, but we shut down a lane of traffic or a parking lane on either side of White Avenue uh, and put out benches and planters. And it was very kind of small scale, um, but just to introduce people to the, the idea of having a bit more space on White Avenue. Um, and it was an overwhelming success. People loved it. Um, and we grew it from there. And so the next year we realized, well, you know, this is great, but we need a bit more protection uh, on that walking area because it was right next to cars on White Avenue. And we had just like pylons across, which obviously get blown over and, and sometimes drivers and idiots and kind of run them over and all this kind of stuff. Um, so the next year we actually designed custom painted water barriers that went the entire strip uh, to protect pedestrians and then we custom designed and fabricated benches that that sat over these water barriers um as kind of an innovative way to to add seating while having all this protection um and that also kind of was a resounding success and we the osba did some studies and some kind of um market research with both the businesses and the patrons of white avenue um and that kind of showed that they actually really valued having extra seating uh, extra space and extra, you know, bike racks and these kind of things on White Avenue, and it was really needed. So fast forward two years after that, um, this grant became available with the federal government, the community, kind of the community revitalization fund. Um, and so we thought, well, let's take what we've learned from these two years and actually build permanent infrastructure. Um, obviously, White Avenue is getting ideally uh, redone in, in 2027 and beyond. It's up for renewal. Um, and so we, we couldn't necessarily permanently take down a lane, but we thought, you know, how can we add more space and more seating? Because we know that it's valued to businesses. 
Um, we know that if people are spending more time on White Avenue, that they're spending more money, which is good for business. Uh, and so we thought, let's let's take what we've learned and make it permanent. And so um, over the last year and a half, we've been working on a, uh, a series of custom benches, bistro tables, and bike racks, uh, permanent, um, that we're fabricating all in Edmonton, all from uh, local suppliers and local kind of craftsmen. Um, those will all be installed this summer. And then we also have a series of five parklets. Uh, and a parklet is essentially a little patio that takes over a parking stall with seating and plants and these kind of things. Um, and so we're building permanent parklets that'll be in place for the next 10 years, uh, five of them across White Avenue to kind of provide some space off of the avenue. Um, it's really exciting to see it come kind of full circle. Uh, you know, we started this as just a, a small placemaking intervention to see what was possible. And now uh, through the support of the federal government and the old South Dakota Business Association, we're going to have permanent infrastructure upgrades on White Avenue. Um, and then once White Avenue is due for renewal and the whole place gets reconstructed, we'll move all of those permanent infrastructure upgrades kind of to the periphery of old Strathcona. That's, that is so awesome. And it's so exciting to see that like small incremental ideas and change can bring about like a permanent change on such a popular street in the Edmonton area. I'm excited about the design itself because vignettes is so creative and their design team does such a good job with the ideas that they implement. I was wondering, because this is more of an audio type of content, if you could describe the styles of seating that you are hoping to have installed soon. Yeah, so we a lot of thought went into the design, um, I mean, to some people, a bike rack is a bike rack, but we we really wanted to kind of pay homage to what we felt White Avenue has kind of, I mean, I've grown up uh, in Ritchie um, almost my entire life. And so I've been very close to White Avenue. It's kind of my hood. Um, and White Avenue is awesome because you, you like one store to the next, you can go from a, a bougie kind of modern boutique to, uh, you know, Black Dog, which has been around for eons um like old kind of grungy pub and so there's this mix of like you know you can go to a little uh bougie kind of um boutique inside of a historic building it's like the juxtaposition of um kind of this heritage area and then all of these new age businesses and kind of funky eclectic businesses that pop up um and so we we took that and kind of boiled that down to a design style where we've got um you know, we, we chose a, a Brazilian hardwood, a yellow Bilal, which has got this great, you know, rich wood undertone. Um, and we paired it with these big chunky steel legs for our benches, uh, which are all done in really poppy pastel colors. So you get this juxtaposition of like super poppy pink powder coated steel next to this kind of uh, rich, dark hardwood, which we kind of felt embodied kind of the juxtaposition of businesses on White Avenue and the feeling of a very eclectic community um, around these old heritage buildings. Um, we, we did, you know, a, a normal kind of bench, back bench, but we also included bistro sets um, because White Avenue, you know, there's nothing better than walking down and like grabbing an ice cream cone and a Guinness or something and just eating it on the side of the street. 
Um, but there's not really a lot of areas to do that on White Avenue. And so we thought, let's bring in kind of a bistro set where you can sit and have a coffee with someone. Um, and those also include this like rich dark wood with these large surfaces of poppy colors um, to kind of break up. There's a lot of brick and a lot of gray on White Avenue. And for good reason, it's a heritage zone and we want to keep that heritage. But it, it kind of brings some of the inside life of these buildings outside onto the street. Um, and so it, with the parklets as well, we've got, you know, lots of seeding, lots of plants uh, and lots of poppy pastel colors mixed with a rich cedar wood on those. So we're kind of like blending, um, you know, a modern color palette with kind of rich wood uh, and juxtaposing those together. So I think it really embodies kind of what White Avenue is all about, um, that you can be like a funky, weird kind of eclectic business and succeed in this, you know, 1800s building um and next to you know a kind of dark and dusty pub or a you know 20 dollar ice cream place it's like everything kind of works together in this weird and awesome way on white avenue and so we thought let's embody that down into a design aesthetic i've seen little images of these on the old trathrona business association site i'm super stoked to see them on white ave they are so fun so colorful and i think they're like perfect thing for white out and it's exactly right and i have a follow-up question to that with the patio parklets you called them um do businesses on white ave get to like opt for one in front of their building or have do you guys strategically place we strategically place them um it was a bit of an exercise because a lot of Restaurants on White Avenue obviously have built their own patios with the new patio guidelines, which allows them to come out onto the street and make boardwalks and these kind of things. We want it to be as fair as possible. Um, so there were some, a little bit of strategic location uh, exercises. You know, we, we didn't want to put them in front of any restaurants in case they wanted to build their own patio. Um, but there were certain hot spots on White Avenue where we felt there's a little bit of a bottleneck, uh, really popular spots that people might enjoy some extra space. Um, and so businesses didn't get to opt in. We kind of placed them um, very fair and where we saw them having the best and the biggest impact, um, knowing that, you know, most restaurants are going to want to build their own patio and, and operate their own thing. And we didn't want to, you know, let one restaurant use it as a patio because the Old Strathcona Business Association does represent all businesses across White Avenue. Okay. Yeah. And so in regards to timeline for implementation, are we going to see them like June, July, August? I know it's four years in the making, so I don't know the immediacy of the timeline. <laughs> yeah, so we, we had originally planned to have everything out um, kind of now. Uh, we did run into some production delays and some shipping delays. I mean, uh, just material wise things these days are a little bit crazy, especially we're, we're still catching up from COVID. Um, and with the wildfires now too, things have been a little bit of a delay, but the bike racks actually got picked up this morning. So they should be installed this week. Um, the benches and bistros will come shortly after. And then we're planning on having all of the parklets out by the end of the summer. And so you'll see them kind of installed in stages. Um, one at a time over the summer. You know, you'll wake up and one will just appear on White Avenue. Um, and these are permanent uh, infrastructure upgrades too. So, we, you know, we want to we get them out fast to have them for the summer, but we also want to make sure that we're 
building everything and not rushing through the process because these will be out for the next 10 years. You'll get to enjoy them in the winter and the summer um, as much as you want. And so uh, I'm going to say by August 31st, you'll be, you know, parking your bike on a bike rack, sitting on a bench and enjoying some ice cream in a parklet. Awesome. That is so exciting. I will be enjoying my ice cream for sure. And just people watching, I think that's one of the best things about White Ave. It's honestly a street. For, it's like a one size fits all as a street. Like, like you said, everything comes together. It thrives together in these historic buildings. Doesn't matter if you're a modern business. It's a truly unique place. And I'm glad that we are continuing to make it a place to be inhabitable by the people in this city and keep bringing attraction to it. And this might be your expertise with your urban planning background, but for placemaking to thrive, do people need to already be going to the place or do you need to reinvent the space for people to go to it? Kind of like a chicken before the egg situation, or is it a bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Um, placemaking works really well when it's it's involved with the community. Um, you know, I, I don't think this project would be as successful as I think it's going to be if we had not done those first two or three years of piloting and studying and kind of incremental change, because it really bought the community into some of these changes. Um, you know, not that we're changing a whole lot, we're, we're adding benches and bike racks and these kind of things. But, um, it, you know, we found that if you do this kind of exercise in a place that's already really busy and successful, like White Avenue, it, it has just an exponential compounding effect. Like it makes things just a lot easier. Um, but it is really important to do these in places that aren't necessarily as thriving sometimes because it, it kind of kickstarts that life. The key, I think, is to really have things programmed as well. Um, you know, we've done things like we, we built a pop-up park in downtown Edmonton called Route 107, where Warehouse Campus Park is going to be, um, you know, on a bunch of parking lots that were barren uh, and not a lot of people were, were walking by them. It, you know, it wasn't very active. Uh, and in partnership with the DBA, uh, they really took over programming the entire space almost every night. And I think that's kind of what made it, you know, so successful is that, you can build it, but you also need to have interesting things to do there. Um, and, and if there's not already that infrastructure around like White Avenue has, then you kind of need to create that and bring people down so that they can experience the interventions that you've done. Just sticking down a bunch of benches in the middle of the parking lot, it, you know, doesn't work that well. You really need to bring people there um, through concerts and and we had like beer trucks and food trucks and all this kind of stuff. So both both kind of can work. Um, it's a little bit easier when you already have the infrastructure like White Avenue, but it is almost more important when there's not that infrastructure there and you got to make sure that it's programmed and, and people are having something to do there. Okay, yeah, awesome. Out of curiosity, those pilot projects with the barriers and the tables on White Ave, was that funded through the Canada Community Revitalization Fund? Or was that those pilot projects originally funded just by Strathcona Business Association? Yeah, they were originally just funded by the OSBA. Um, the CCRF was was just for this year's project for the permanent infrastructure upgrades. Okay. And 
regarding the Canada Community Revitalization Fund, that was for nonprofits, um, for municipalities, public institutions, Indigenous communities to apply for funding for revitalization projects in urban areas, outdoor spaces, and creating green infrastructure with other grants that people can apply for now that that fund has closed. Do you have any tips for companies to do a similar thing? Yes, I mean, there there are some grants available now, like the Downtown Revitalization Grant, Vibrancy Fund, I think it's called. Um, I think what was key is, and the federal government did a good job with this, but they wanted shovel-ready projects. Um, and so we were kind of involved from the get-go with a nonprofit partner. Um, and it's really good to have, you know, a, a solid idea and some test cases if you can. Um, I think why we were successful with the grant application is because we could really show that we've already done this for two years. Um, and it, there's a clear need for this. Uh, we've kind of demonstrated that we've done the studies, we've done the homework. And, you know, it's a very easy line to draw between um, what we're going to do and how it's going to benefit the community economically um, and, and socially. And so we were able to very easily draw that line because we've done these incremental projects. So sometimes you need to invest a little bit of your own money in, in doing these, some small scale interventions first. And there are grants that allow you to do that as well. But when you start going for the larger ones, it's good to have that prior experience to say like, this is the actual economic impact that we saw through what we did here. We want to expand that. We want to take it bigger and better. And we need some funding to be able to do that. And then it's easy for, you know, the government and, and whoever's issuing the grant to draw that parallel. Um, because they always have to justify, you know, it, it is all of our money. It's our taxpayer money. So they Hey everyone. So right about now is when someone in the vignettes workshop turned on the sanding machine and it cut Amos's answer short. So here's him now recapping what he was saying when he got cut off. If you can show that there's a clear line between what you're doing and the economic impact it's having, it's easier for government to be able to to say that this is a worthwhile investment because they are spending taxpayer dollars. So I really need to justify the impact that it's going to have. And that's easier when you've already done it before. I think those are very good tips and definitely helps me understand how these projects just roll out into the public. Because I think as a citizen, you're always you're like, oh man, I wish we had that. And it does take work and it does take people taking risks and putting their own money ahead and believing in their own ideas, which I think is what I always really admired about vignettes and people like yourself who are go-getters and want to make change in their communities. I personally am driven by that. I don't know. Is that where your passion comes from? Is the results or is it part of the creative process? Um, yeah. What's your favorite part about what you do or what keeps you motivated? I think it's part of the creative process. I mean, I, I obviously I am passionate about placemaking and, and urban planning and urban issues. Um, I think it's interesting for me to take it from a design perspective. 
Um, you know, I, I like to design things uh, um, both from a macro level, you know, designing kind of larger street furniture initiatives like this one, larger placemaking projects. Um, but it's really interesting me down to, you know, we, we really, the design thinking behind some of the decisions that we're making, like the specific wood that we're using, um, the specific profile of the round over on the wood, like exactly how joints go together. That's really interesting to me as well. So it, it's kind of why we're such generalists. Um, I mean, we're all designers, we're all creatives and we, we take on things and, and kind of handle them wholeheartedly through ideation concepts, uh, production, fabrication, kind of the whole thing. We're not, um, you know, we're not just like an interior design group. We're not just a fabrication group. We do it all because we're all really interested in that and seeing a project come to completion. And, and you know, I think that design process, um, it, it's more meaningful when the product also has a good social impact um, and a good economic impact. Um, you know, I'm really interested in, in cities and, and how we live in urban environments and making them better places to be. Um, and some of that is through, you know, strictly economic work, strictly like um, urban planning from an economic standpoint, zoning and those kind of things. But a large part of it in vignettes is, is the design and how we can design better experiences in our cities. And oftentimes that has social and economic impacts. Do you think you can give us a bit of a sneak peek of what's in store with vignettes for the rest of the summer outside of this project with Old Strathcona Business Association? Yeah, we've got a lot on the go. Um, we've got an installation going up at Downtown Spark, which is a, a festival downtown. Um, some of our larger projects we just opened up. Um, or we didn't necessarily open it up, but we just completed the Innovation Gallery at Edmonton, Edmonton Unlimited. And so that's uh, uh, their new headquarters downtown. We did this massive 100 foot feature wall uh, and a full signage and wayfinding program for them. So that's a super exciting space for entrepreneurs. Um, we have a lot of projects with Explore Edmonton coming up. And so we're, we've been doing a lot of their um, marketing builds uh, and a lot of their kind of experiential marketing pieces. Um, we'll also be at Stampede this year. We've got a bunch of uh, booths that we're building for our liquor partners. So Hennessy, um, Belvedere, Vulcan Tequila, and Fireball. We're doing these massive 30 foot by 20 foot interactive uh, kind of uh, drink booths and bars. Um, and then, uh, yes, yeah, some interior projects. We, we, and there's a whole lot of weird stuff going on, some small, some big, but we're trying to have fun with it. Um, stay lean and mean and kind of uh, have some fun ourselves with the things that we're designing. I am excited and I'll hopefully be going to Stampede. So I'll make sure to check out those uh, liquor booths there for sure. And um, I'm wondering if you draw your inspiration from any other creators out in the global landscape, or if you could say, if you could recommend like three things for people, if they're interested in placemaking or interested in design, interested in cool community activations where they can go or even galleries yeah my my three i'd say my three favorite design groups right now that are doing this kind of work um one of them is called play lab play lab inc um they're from new york uh they work with a lot of large luxury brands and do kind of interactive set design and and experiential marketing campaigns and they're just done really well they've done a lot of concept stores and they're super interesting 
Um, you can look up the Urban Congo. Uh, they're a group that does uh, placemaking installation work, design installations and art installations, which are really fun and very urban. Um, and then a great nonprofit is Better Block. Um, they're out of Dallas and, and they make um, CNC cut modular furniture for communities. Um, it's a nonprofit and it's all, you know, community led uh, and they, they take over a block and make it better. Um, and so they've got like all these picnic tables and benches and planters and all these kind of things that communities can essentially just take the design, go and get it cut on a CNC machine and then put it together themselves and improve their community. Um, so those are my three favorites right now. Um, I mean, we, we work with a whole lot of obviously through vignettes, artists and designers in Edmonton, um, you know, through the festival, we just know so many amazing artists. The Edmonton design scene is, is alive and thriving. Um, and so I'd encourage people to check out local groups as well, local furniture groups, 126 Design, um, ISM, uh, Forge 53, who's our metalworking partner. They do almost all of our, our metalwork for us. Um, and, and yeah, anyone that's been involved with vignettes is awesome. So go look them up. All right. I think that concludes our interview today and those things are i will plug them a little more in a description for sure um, make sure that everyone has access to checking out more content regarding placemaking design being purposeful in the way that we form community amos i want to say thank you so much for joining me for this quick interview um, regarding things you're working on. I'm super grateful for what you're doing in the city. I'm so excited to get to be like walking through what you visualized and brought to life. And I've also learned a bit more about how to get started on projects myself if I am looking to secure funding and a good practical process that I can implement. So I want to say thank you again for getting uh, getting to speak to me today. Like that, that it's been great, and uh, for sure you'll see me around vignettes in the yeah, future. Yeah, thanks so much, Kelly. Um, if you have any questions for me, yeah, let me know. This was, you know, a kick at the can. We're trying it out. Um, hopefully, get to speak with more influential Edmontonians and what they're doing in the street. Awesome. Thanks so much. No problem. Have a good day. Awesome. Yeah, you as well. Bye. Bye. All right, we made it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Product of the People. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Check the links in this episode's description to see what we talked about today. And feel free to follow at P-O-T-P pod, that's at P-O-T-P pod on Instagram for more content. Until next time, ciao.